Uh, just a little short feedback. I abandoned you last week. I went to Hastings Church, Paul Mann. Uh, some of you will know he's kind of oversees us from new ground. So I went to his church in Hastings and uh, just to speak to them about mission, evangelism, stir them up for their alpha that was just about to start. Um, and uh, it was a good day. He's had to speak three times, so I'm still recovering from that. Um, but in the morning, I shared, uh, I was preaching and I shared some of our alpha stories. And um, I love to tell Faye's story because it's a real good one. And um, as I told her story in the morning, I heard in the evening about a lady that was there in the morning. And she heard Faye's story and was in a very similar position. And this lady was actually suicidal in the morning. And she heard Faye's story. She heard what God had done in Faye's life. She heard how uh, the Lord had really turned Faye's life around and her, her view and everything and how God is still working in Faye's life. And God spoke and God uh, changed this woman's life right there and then. So I thought, well, that was worth going then. <laughs> um, if nothing else happened, if I was boring, because I was really bored with myself by the end, to be honest. But um, it, was, uh, it was really good. God was moving. So we are going to go back to our Luke series today. We've not been in Luke since the beginning of December. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a long time. And surprisingly, we are still in chapter 9. <clears throat> yeah, we've been, here for, we've been here for a while and we're still going to be there for a little while longer. Now, and today's uh, sermon is called Mountains and Valleys. Can I just say, that worked much better this afternoon. <laughs> we had to do it twice. I was determined to make it work this morning, and it didn't quite work the first time. Um, so was, we pretended it never happened, and we did it again. And it still didn't work the second time very well, but that was much better, so well done. Well done, PA team. <laughs> I almost want to do it again, it works so well. <laughs> uh, yes. Right, so mountains and valleys. Um, just a quick recap. Last time, I'm sure you can all remember, from way back in December, we were looking at the transfiguration. Adam spoke on the transfiguration. And there was this amazing... Thank you. That's my wonderful wife. Isn't she amazing? Um, there was this amazing mountaintop experience. Uh, Peter, James, John and James went up the mountain with, with Jesus and Jesus had this uh, incredible experience. His face changed. He was this dazzling white apparel uh, and then Moses and Elijah appeared and God spoke and he said, this is my son. Do you remember that bit? And he says, my chosen one, listen to him. So, and now what we're picking up today is from verse 37, chapter 9, verse 37, uh, they're coming down the mountain. I could have a song for that, couldn't I? No, I don't have a song for that. But um, they're coming down the mountain. It's, it's in the head now. It's just Anyway, verse 37, they've been up the mountain and now they're coming down. <clears throat> On the next day. When they had come down the mountain, uh, a great crowd met him, that's Jesus, and, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, 
Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. While they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So, imagine this. They're coming down the mountain. The song's there in in your head. Uh, They've just had this incredible mountaintop experience. Remember, and Peter got all excited. Uh, And the man meets them and begs Jesus. He begs Jesus to, to look at his son. He describes his condition. And then he says, he's my only child. This would have brought shame on this father, this happening to his son. He was his only child. He was a threat to his bloodline as well, which was a big deal. The disciples as well, they couldn't drive it or cast it out. We're assuming here as well that these are the nine that were left at the bottom of the mountain because Peter, James and John went up the mountain. They'd failed to cast out the demon. And we start to see the contrast here between the majesty on the mountain and the mess in the valley. It can so often be like that, can't it? In life, in general, we have these moments of majesty, these moments of meeting with God and thinking, wow, this is wonderful. I wish it could stay like that. Um, I often think a good example is like spending the week at New Day, I mean, apart from the camping bit, we have a week of amazing encountering God and you think, wow, this is incredible. But then you get back to reality and it's not like New Day everywhere. I mean, thankfully the beds are better, but... um, but you have this contrast of you have moments of glory and wonder and then you get a big old smack in the face. But Christians aren't supposed to stay at the top of the mountain. Mark uh, describes this scene at, with, um, as Jesus is coming down and he describes the scene with scribes arguing with the disciples. So Jesus, you know, might have been slightly irritated. Luke omits Mark and Matthew's focus on prayer and what was needed was faith. Rather, Luke is focusing on the disciples' failure. So this is here to encourage us this afternoon. What we really need to grasp fully through what we've read this afternoon is that in times of trouble and strife, we can lay hold of God's mighty power through faith. This account shows us the need for faith and confidence in Jesus. Not just when it's going well. We can see our faith tested in a situation like this. Or when the job doesn't come, or the relationship doesn't work out, the disease isn't healed. That is when faith is tested. 
But also, we don't have to earn Jesus' help and love by reaching a certain level of faith either. We don't have to have this much faith and then he's happy to step in. Because in Mark, again, the father cries out, help my unbelief. Jesus says in another place that you only need faith the size of a mustard seed. So it's not, it's, it's not how big our faith is, how much faith we've got. It's who our faith is in. And we need to press on through disappointment and pain and believe that God is good. We live now in a kingdom that has come and is ever increasing. Yes, faith is involved, but faith in Jesus. Not faith in Jesus to heal this person or sort this situation out. Faith in him. We need to cling to Jesus. Corrie ten Boom, who experienced huge amounts of suffering in the Second World War, um, was put in concentration camps. I'm sure most of you will know if you, about her if you don't look her up. Uh, she said this. She says, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the driver. So we keep praying for the sick, the miraculous, and we do it out of a close, personal relationship with Jesus, with the Father. At the end of Mark, he, the disciples are asking Jesus, why couldn't we cast out that demon? Jesus said, this kind can only be cast out by prayer. Prayer. We want to see revival. We want to see salvation, healing, breakthrough. It all comes through prayer. The more time we spend partnering with God in prayer, the more we can partner with him in healing ministries and seeing people saved and seeing revival come. Just so good to pray together. Can I encourage you to get to our prayer meetings? They're really good times to be with God, to hear from Him, to pray with one another. It's not just about your connect group or what we do here on a Sunday, but our prayer meetings, actually, whenever there's been a, a revival really throughout church history, it's where it's normally started in a prayer meeting. Can I encourage you to come to our prayer meetings? Moving on. Verse 41. Jesus says, O faithless and twisted generation, how long must I bear with you? Or he says in other versions, faithless and crooked. Faithless and perverse generation. Jesus is a bit grumpy today. He's had a good time up the mountain and now he's come down. Well, we all know. Why is he like this? this? This rebuke echoes Deuteronomy 32. Interestingly, this Moses was rebuking the, that generation from wandering from God in the wilderness. And Jesus had just been with Moses up the mountain. You might think, well, this seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? Jesus is a bit angry. This isn't the Jesus we know. He's sort of meek and mild and Oh, Jesus, let's read a psalm. Let's feel better about ourselves. No, this begins a, a section really in chapter 9 where Jesus is bringing correction to his disciples. In a few weeks' time, uh, Jesus is going to be speaking on when the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest. 
Then, after that, they start talking about calling fire down from heaven. They need correction. How do you deal with God's correction and discipline? People don't like authority these days. How do you deal with God's correction? I remember God speaking to me about many different things throughout my Christian life. And uh, I remember not long after we were married, um, God spoke to me about what I read, the things that I was letting in, really, what I was reading. So I used to uh, work on building sites, and I, used to, I was a classic builder, had a van, and I used to read the Sun newspaper, and mainly because it was about football. There's a lot of football news in it. But God spoke to me and said, you shouldn't read that anymore. What you're letting into your soul is not doing you good. So I stopped doing that. And then a little while after that, he spoke to me about drinking. He said, because I used to drink excessively, like every day, and I'd stopped doing that. I'd become a Christian. We were married. Um, but God spoke to me about my drinking stuff. I thought, well, I've sorted that out. And he says, mm, Ian, you still get drunk occasionally. Ian, you're a Christian. You, this is not what you do anymore. You don't do that anymore. Okay. Right. And this is not him just telling me to follow a list of rules because he wants me to live. It was for my good. Because he wants me to be more like him. Then he spoke to me about my language. Oh, you know you're on that building site. You don't have to join in with everybody else. Because you know language is, if you've ever been on a building site, language is a little colourful. You don't have to join in with those people. You can be different. Because actually we're not supposed to be like the world. We're supposed to be in the world but not of the world. And then when my son was born, nearly 10 years ago, 10 years this year, he spoke to me about playing computer games. Um, I Believe it or not, computers were invented when I was younger. <laughs> only just about, Jeeves, only just about. Um, I mean, they had green screens when I was uh, at school. Um, but uh, I grew up as just as computers and compu Sega uh, consoles and stuff were being invented. And I loved computer games. And I was still playing them as we were married. And God spoke to me when Elijah was born. He said, I feel like it's time you need to stop that. Thought, well, maybe. We'll see. Because I used to finish early. I was a builder. I didn't work long days. Um, <clears throat> and it gave me something to do because Gemma was a teacher and she worked long days. That's how it was. But God spoke to me. And then I was wrestling with it. And then I read this verse. I came across this verse as I was wrestling with this. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. And I thought, yeah, no, this is, I need to stop this. When I was a child, I talked like a child, reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Okay, God, I get the message. I need to stop this. I'm a man now. Have you ever been rebuked by God? If you haven't, I wonder if you're listening. He disciplines those he loves. Consider, ask him. 
what is it? What is there anything in your life right now that he might not be keen on? Moving on. Verse 42. The demon throws the boy to the ground and convulses him. In the face of the divine, in the face of God, there will sometimes be convulsing before repentance. There is a need for repentance. There might be some horror when God confronts sinners because we are in a fight. We are in a battle. We are in a battle for souls. That's why we so need you to pray for Alpha because we are going into battle. Pray for the team. Pray for our families as we go into this season. Guaranteed stuff starts to happen as we are going into battle for souls. It is that serious. This is not just another, another nice alpha course where some people come, come along and we get to know, no, we're going into battle. Pray. You know, Isaiah, in Isaiah, he'd been, at the beginning of Isaiah, he'd been denouncing the sins of the nation. He'd been giving woes to the nation. Now, woes in, in Scripture are more serious than we would talk about them now when we joke about woe is me. No, woes were serious in Scripture. And he's giving woes to the nation. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah himself meets God in that glorious encounter. He meets God and then he says, Woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live amongst the people of unclean lips. See, demons are aware. They're, they're astute. They know who Jesus is. That's why this battle was literally going on. As the boy comes to Jesus, there's still that fight, and he throws the boy to the ground. You know, the demons aren't in any doubt now. They know Jesus has risen from the dead. They're not in any doubt. This exorcism encounter, can, at the beginning, as the father brings the boy, it might look like the devil or the demons are winning because they've thrown the boy to the ground again. It says in Mark and Matthew, the boy was mute. He was throwing himself in fires. This was doing him harm. It looked like the devil, the, de the demons were winning. But Jesus takes hold of the situation. He rebukes the demon and the spirit and he heals the boy. This is like Calvary. When Jesus hung on the cross and it looked like ultimate defeat. But really it was and led to ultimate victory. The majesty of God is demonstrated on the cross. The majesty of God defeating sin and death and the powers of evil in the glorious resurrection. See, Peter wanted to contain up in the mountain. He wanted to contain that moment. He wanted to stay there. Do you remember Adam was talking, put a picture up of the tents and he wanted to, let's make three tents for you, for Moses and Elijah and you, Jesus. He wanted to contain that moment. Let's keep it here. But Jesus had his face set towards his earthly mission, towards the cross. That's why in 44, 45, he predicts his death. This mountaintop moment of glory was always meant to lead to witnessing in the valley. Jesus doesn't want us to just worship on the mountain, but he wants us to witness in the valley. You should not have one without the other. We have wonderful encounters with him. But it should always drive us into the dirt 
of life and reach out to the lost and the broken. Verse 43, 45, they were astonished at the majesty of God. They were marveling at everything he was doing. But the true meaning of Jesus' mission was hidden and concealed from them. You know, we need to really realize who Jesus is. He's the Savior. We can look at him from a distance and go, yeah, that's good, Jesus, and maybe you can help improve my life. No, he's the Savior. He's come to save you from an eternity apart from him. Hell is a reality. He's come to save you from that and from your sin. And he's come to set you free. In a life better than you can ever imagine. You know, me giving up all those things, they were kind of selfish things really that I thought were good and I enjoyed. But actually my life is so much better since I've given those things up. He is turning me, he is turning you from one degree of glory to another because he wants to make you more like him. He wants to make you more like him. Do you want to be more like him? Realize who he is. He's come to set you free. This is Jesus. He's the saviour. The father, this father shows us as well what we should do in every situation, trouble or difficulty. Come to Jesus. 1 Peter 5, Peter who was up the mountain, writes later on, invites us to cast all of our cares upon him. Ephesians 3 highlights as well that we can bring all of our cares to Jesus, all of our worries, not just some of the stuff that we think he could deal with and some of the other things that we want to keep in the cupboard. Remember me talking about the cupboard. We can bring all of our cares because he, as it's in Ephesians 3, is able to do far more than we ask or think. We're in need of deliverance from our sin and our unbelief. And he is able, he is mighty, and he will deliver us. Amen? Are you, look, are you lacking faith this afternoon? Come to him. Ask him, help my unbelief. Faith comes through hearing, through reading his word, through coming to him, to behold him. Let's behold him. Church, why don't we stand and let's pray. Just consider some of those questions for a moment. Let's close our eyes and fix the eyes of your heart upon him. Is there anything he might be bringing to your mind that he's been trying to speak to you about? He's saying, now's the time to stop that. Now's the time for change. Now's the time to come to me. We can cry out to him like the Father, help my unbelief. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you didn't stay up the mountain. Thank you that you came down and you carried out your earthly mission and you died on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you set us free from our sin and our shame and we can spend eternity with you. 
you can come to him. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you can do that right now. Just say, sorry. Just in the quietness of your heart, sorry Jesus for living my own way. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And please come and fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me follow you. That's all you've got to say to him. And he'll come. He's already standing at the door of your life and knocking. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Meet with us. Fill us, Lord. Lord, I pray for more mountaintop moments of encounter with you. But Lord, help us come and witness in the valley. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for Malcolm and Kim. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for their love for you. Thank you for their love for the church. Lord, we pray blessings over them, Lord, as they go forward in this, um, these next steps in their life. Lord, I pray they will see great fruit. I pray for harvest, Lord, for them. I pray that you'll take them to places that they are not expecting, that they're going to see amazing things in this next season, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill them right now, again, afresh. Lord, as they've given out today, just telling their story, come and meet with them. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.